morning, church family. Um, just a rich delight to be with you today. We're beginning a new series. It's a series about the deepening, the beginning and the deepening, the challenging of our faith that we call messy faith. We call it because the process of faith is a process in our lives, isn't it? Filled with ups and downs and mistakes and failures, and it's messy, it's hard, it's difficult, and yet this great gift of God in our lives, this wonderful thing that he is doing with us, and we're going to study it through the eyes of Abraham and Sarah in uh, the book of Genesis. If you have not landed in a place to study in God's Word, to be reading faithfully in your time in God's Word on a weekly basis, let me encourage you to dive into the book of Genesis. And as you read through those stories of faith, they're all connected. And as you read through those stories, understand this, that God was doing something in the life of failed and flawed people, and he was doing it to produce a greater dependence on him. And those stories are exceptional, not because the people were exceptional, but because the God behind them is exceptional. And he's doing something in us that is remarkable. That is, he's producing this dependence on him that can only be a gift from his hand. John Ortberg, in his wonderful book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat, points out a pattern, I think, that's helpful for us as we begin this series and think about how God weaves the story of faith in a life of a person. First, he says there's always a call, just like there's a call here in Genesis chapter 12 that we'll study in Abram's life. God asks an ordinary person to engage in an act of extraordinary trust. He asks us to step into an act of extraordinary trust. And there's always fear. God has an inextinguishable habit of asking us to do scary things. (laughs) To do things that are uncomfortable for us. Um, It may be the fear of leaving what is comfortable. That happens here in Genesis chapter 12 with Abram's life. It may be the fear of inadequacy. Moses said, oh, but I'm slow of speech. Can't somebody else do it? And it may be the fear of failure. The spies, when they checked out Canaan, they came back and they're they're convinced that the land was filled with giants and God could not deliver them. And it may be the fear of God himself. For I knew you were a hard man, seeking to reap what you did not sow, claimed the servant in Jesus' parable. But one way or another, there will be fear. And there's always reassurance. God promises his presence. Isn't that good news for us? The Lord will be with you, mighty warrior. That's what the angel tells Gideon before he's about to take this great leap of faith in his life. And the Lord tells a stuttering Moses, I'll help you speak, and I'll teach you what to say. And for those disciples who are about to be commissioned in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Lo, hey, I'm going to be with you. Even to the very end, I'll be with you. There's a reassurance of his presence. And, and there's always a decision. Sometimes, as with Abram here and with Moses and with others, people say yes to God's call. And sometimes in Scripture, like the frightened spies and the rich young ruler, people say no to God. I can't trust you. 
And sometimes those people who said once yes to God, like Abram and David and a long list of us, we say yes initially to God and then we say, oh, but I don't know about this time. <laughs> I'm, I'm really wrestling with right now whether I'm going to say yes to you. Faith is not one of those things that's just a one-time only bargain. It's, uh, it's a lifetime of saying yes to God. And Orbrook says there's always a changed life. That those who say yes to God's call, they don't walk perfectly, not by a long shot. But because they say yes to God, they learn to grow through their failures, through the times where their faith wasn't what it should be, but God is still not done with us yet. Amen to that? That was a weak amen, by the way. <laughs> amen to that? Like, that's, that's so true to my experience. So what this series is about is the gift and the work of faith in us. And it's about what's going on in our life right now, this moment. We'll look into the lives of Abraham and Sarah, and we'll discover what God's doing with them and how he's doing it. But more than that, it's, it's about us and our present experience, the work of God and what he's doing in us right now, where you sit. This series is asking you a vital question. What is God doing with you? Like right now. Consider, what's God doing with you? Perhaps the best way to start this discussion is to think about the Lord's words through one of his men, Paul, to a church, a group of people that had initially said yes to God, to follow him. They were uh, a group of people, men and women, in um, Galatia. And Paul writes the letter of Galatians 2. And they were people who said yes to God, but then in the middle of doing life, they thought, nah, we should go back to the old way of doing things, right? It, it, um, we're going to follow the law as opposed to faith. We're going to go back and rely on our own self, our own capacity to please God and to earn his favor as opposed to just rely on the gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we read these words in Galatians chapter 3. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Paul's saying, why are you going back? Because no one finds true relationship with God and healing and forgiveness and justification through that method. For, and then this biblical theme winds itself throughout Scripture, the righteous shall live by... You know that already? But it's tricky, isn't it? The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, not being able, we can't measure up to the expectations, the purity, the righteousness of God. No man can do that, Scripture says. That's not the good news, the gospel. For it is written, um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. This blessing that the righteous shall live by faith, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's the message that Paul gives. The blessing in Jesus that Paul speaks of to the Galatians comes to us, and it's an ageless, timeless message throughout Scripture. And many of you have heard that key message before, the righteous shall live by faith. Let me rephrase it a bit. Faith is at the center of our existence. 
Faith is at the center of our existence. It's the core of who we are, faith. And Paul was keenly aware of the fact that the story of God's word, the story of the Bible is all interconnected. The, the 66 books of the Bible, they're not 66 different books and different stories. And all the stories you're going to find in Genesis, they're not just separate events. They are the story of God's redemption and moving people, righteousness, giving righteousness to people through faith. They're faith stories, stories of people learning how to trust God, people failing in that process in spectacular ways, crashes and burns, and and then getting up and learning how to trust God in deeper ways. And we see that throughout the lifetime of Abraham. So how good, how did God develop faith in this man? And how is he developing faith in us? Let me turn your attention to Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. The story begins this way. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, verse 4, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram, verse 7, and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev or the Negev. When people had sought to make a name for themselves by their own accomplishments, that's the stories we see in Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis chapter 11 and culminating in Genesis eleven four. God stepped in. He sought to help them understand, for all of humanity to understand, that he had ordered the cosmos, the universe, to operate in a very different way. And so through Abram, the Lord steps into history once more and brings order into things. He chooses Abram and gives him a challenge to follow into the unknown, which is always difficult for us, isn't it? To follow God into the unknown. And verses 1 through 2 tell us of the call and the challenge of God. God was redirecting the arc of history. So the emphasis of our story, it falls upon the gift of God and not human accomplishment. Genesis 3 through 11, it's all about man's trying to accomplish things. And here, Genesis 12 the gift, the calling of God that is a gift. And it emphasizes this spiritual truth that everything of substance and worth in life is a result of God's gift and not human accomplishment. 
Let me repeat it. Let it soak in, marinate a bit. Everything of substance and worth in life is a result of God's gift and not human accomplishment. I was hoping to get at least one amen out of that, but that's okay. So we read in Genesis 12 that God initiates, God chooses, and that may trouble you. You may think, wait a second, why did Abram get chosen? Of all the people that are around, why, why does Abram get chosen for this? Was he some kind of great saint that had already done all these things before God selected him? And some of you might think, wait a second, why didn't Abraham get to choose? Why isn't it man's choice first? Now, before we go down that rabbit hole too much, let me say this, that as far as Jews and Muslims and Christians at times have understood God's choice of Abraham as an affirmation of Abraham's hero status, they were wrong. According to the Old Testament prophets who regularly oppose this understanding, this was a gift of God. That's why we call it grace, by the way. God initiating relationship with us is grace. God chooses, and we're blessed to be the object of his choosing. In discussing the Exodus, Moses attributes God's choice of Israel solely to God's love and not Israel's worthiness because Israel had this bent to think that they were worthy of God's choice above other people and other nations. Here's what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 7 through 8. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you because they weren't. For you were the fewest of all people. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors. He's talking about the promise to Abram. That the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Why did he do this, Israel? Why does he do it in our life? Because he loves you. That's the story of God's word. Why does he have a calling in your life? Because he loves you. And that's what scripture teaches us. So the story being told in Genesis chapter 12 and following is not just of Abraham's unique and heroic behavior. In fact, we study his life and we'll find out that he made all kinds of boneheaded choices. Stupid things he did. It's so encouraging, right? (laughs) It's a story of God's love and promises bringing forth faith in an obviously flawed man. That encourages me because I'm that man. I'm that flawed person. You are that flawed person. And God still tenaciously loves and brings forth faith. God has an agenda in all this choosing, we discover. God chose Abram. So that in verse 3, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. His desire was that all people would discover his love and come into relationship with him. And God was going to weave out that story through this unlikely man that we discover in Genesis chapter 12. God had a purpose, an ageless purpose, that the righteous shall live by faith. So God begins by choosing and calling Abram. And it's a calling that's not a traditional covenant. When I got married, um, and somehow I tricked Sue into marrying me, we, um, we stood before a pastor. I looked her in her beautiful eyes, and I made these promises to my wife. 
that I would love her and be faithful to her. I was making a covenant, and she made promises to me as we stood there before our family and our friends and the Lord God. That was a a covenant. When we um, go before our bank and seek a loan for our house or our mortgage, we um, agree with them. They give us money, and we make these promises to pay them back with a lot of interest. And um, we make a commitment to them. But those aren't really perfect examples of what's happening here in Genesis chapter 12 because in God's story, he promises all these great things without expecting anything comparable in return. Do you see that? He makes all these crazy, wild promises and he doesn't ask in return of Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, God begins his relationship with Amor, promising him to be a great nation, that his name would be great, that he'd be blessed in his relationships, that all nations would be blessed through him and his descendants. And it's quite a set of promises here that we find, but it's not the traditional covenant or treaty or agreement or covenant because God doesn't extract a list list of promises from Abram. The only thing asked of Abram is the faith to follow. That's the only thing asked. The faith to follow. Abram, will you trust me to be true to all the fantastic promises I give to you? That's our story, by the way. Will you trust me enough that all the fantastic promises I give to you, would that be enough for you to trust me back and to follow me? Or are you going to continue to hold on to your own stuff? And to keep those things close and most precious to you. Corey Tinboom once said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I like that a lot. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And God was calling Abram to an unknown future. We aren't told in the text how well Abram even knows the Lord God. We know through the years that he would get to know him a lot better through his discoveries of how faithful God was. But what we can conclude from Abram's reaction in verse 4 is that Abram must have had enough information about God to know that he was worth following, to know when God promised he would be trustworthy. And in response to the call and to the promise of God, Abram takes the leap and he leaves Ur. And it's really important, I think, for us to understand the order of events. The whole intent, I think, of the, of the text would be altered if the response to leave came before the promises of God. Then the promises of God would be like a reward for what he's done. But actually, the promises came first, before Abram ever took a step. God gave a set of promises to him. And that underscores a major theme of Genesis 12 through 50, that God overcomes obstacles. Usually, it's found in the form of Abraham and all his descendants doing a lot of stupid things in order to keep these promises and thus instill faith. It's our story. God keeps these promises in order to instill faith in us. Abram doesn't make promises to God. God makes promises to Abram, and then he keeps them. And that's exactly how God treats you. He gives you a list of amazing, stunning promises 
God promises to give you real and eternal life. You know this, right? Because most of you know the words of John 3, 16 and 17, that he gives you eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. And he does that not out of condemnation, but he simply does it out of a promise to give you life. He promises you that. And he promises to give you forgiveness of your sins, Acts 10, 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And he promises to have everything in your life work together for his good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And he promises to be with you to the very end of the age, as I mentioned in that promise in Matthew 28. And he promises to always be true to his word. 2 Samuel 22 says, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. That's just a short list of all the great promises of God, right? There's a a huge list of the promises he's made to you. And these promises are intended to instill faith in you. That's why he made these promises to Abram. The emphasis here is on the staggering promises of God. But that doesn't eliminate response. Abram responds. In the second half of our text, Genesis 12, 4 through 9, we read that Abram went, as the Lord God told him, and he journeyed on by stages into the Negev, the southern part of what is now Israel. God called, and Abram, he could have stayed. I mean, crying out loud, the guy's 75 years old, right? And at that point in life, a lot of us are thinking about just settling, taking a new risk for God. Really? Is that what you really want to do? I mean, life was pretty comfortable. He told, he, he apparently had his finances in order and he had all his family around him. He was in a place that was good and God was calling him to get out of that place and to follow him. That's hard. It's hard for those of us that are younger. Okay. A lot younger. Those of you who are a lot younger. It's, it's more difficult the older we get. And yet here's this man that God is calling and who's 75. And, and God calls him to get out of his comfort zone and take a road trip. And by the way, road trips in those days were dangerous. Right? He, he's going to have to go with all these possessions and all these people you know, and be responsible for them. And uh, take off on, on camel. And do a bunch of tent camping, going to who knows where, and how he's going to provide for all these people along the way, and, and protect all these people along the way. He was asked to get out into a decidedly uncomfortable place and say yes to the invitation of God. And in doing that, Abram actually takes an unusual step of trust. Not everyone would have said yes, but Abram did, at least this point. Later on in the story, we find other messes he gets himself into for not saying yes. But at this point, he says yes. And we're not told all the details of what transpires next. But knowing that God's timing is always perfect, somewhere along the line, verse 7 happens. God makes another promise to Abram. Your offspring, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abraham, or Abram at that point, and Sarai, they're in their 70s and they have no kids. And it's an outlandish promise, right? How's that even going to work that you would make that kind of promise? 
Maybe that promise happened in the middle of a really rough day for him where he was thinking about going back to Ur or his challenge and just struggling and with all these people responsible for. And, you know, I don't know when exactly it happened. We're not told in the text. But God does make this historic promise to him. And God's original purpose now is focused on this one individual who willingly trusts himself to the uncharted waters of God's future for him. God has essentially, in this text, asked two foundational questions. First, will you believe in the wild promises of God? That's a scary question, isn't it? Will you believe in the wild promises of God? These promises, they had to seem crazy. This is a man with no children of advanced age, and God promises him, first, that he would become a great nation. Second, that he would have a great name. He'd be famous. Third, that he would be having a man, he would be a man with blessed relationships. And even those people who started dogging him, that they would be cursed. And fourth, that he would become a blessing to the entire world. That's amazing, crazy promise. And fifth, that he would have an inheritance of land for his offspring. Fame, reputation, legacy, great relationships, property, and children. All these things God is promising him. It's a really great package deal of blessings that God says. How could God do this? And why would God do this? The text in Genesis, it doesn't tell us much about the wrestling that Abram must have gone through between verses 3 and verse 4. But he does say yes to the promises of God. And that's the pivotal first step for any man, for any woman. To say, okay, yes, right now. I'm going to say yes. Where you're sitting right now, regardless of your age, of your experience, of the times you said yes or the times you said no to God, God is still calling you out to take next steps of faith. To say, yes, God, I will take you at your word, at your promises, and take the next step that you're calling me to. I want to say yes, even though the promises seem crazy and over the top sometimes. I want to say yes to you, Lord. Don't miss that question. Let me ask. Are you currently saying yes? God, I'm going to trust you. For this situation in my family, for this situation in my future, I don't have, I don't have the knowledge of all the things that are in front of me, but I know you're calling me to this. Are you going to say yes? Right now. I'm not asking you what you've done in the past, but today, are you going to say yes? And here's the second question. Will you believe enough to risk it all? See, Abram, will you leave your home? Will you leave your extended family? Will you leave your comfort zone? All those things God's asking him here in Genesis chapter 12. And the promises of God will make these things that you're holding on to seem very small. But the leaving was still a risk. It's still a risk for you. Will you leave everything? I know some things are absolutely true. I know that the glory of God and the pursuit of his promises is most important. It's more important than my house, my material goods. It's more important than my comfort. It's even more important than my dear family. 
And that's a statement with which I believe all Christians should readily agree in theory. But the practice of it, that's the hard part, right? That's the tricky part for us to keep saying yes. There is a Puritan prayer that I came across the other day. It says this in part. Lord of all being, there is one thing that deserves my greatest care, that calls forth my ardent desires, that is, that I may answer the great end for which I am made, to glorify thee who has given me being. Let me say yes to you. Praying that prayer, that's a step of faith and a promise-giving God. Pursuing his glory, it moves me into uncomfortable places of leaving errs. And this is where God is actually leading Abram. It's, it's not the location that is significant, although it does have some historical significance, but it's not the most important thing that's going on here in the text. Set at God's initiative, the plan included Abram, and God's glory would be revealed through history, through what happens in Abram's life as he learns to say yes in the middle of the messy faith that he, that he had. And through that faith, through learning to take God at his word, to trust him in his promises, his life would change. He could have stayed at her. He could have lived a comfortable existence. Instead, he became the father of a nation. Instead, through him, God, the Lord God, blessed the entire world through the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This faith journey was messy, filled with failures and missteps, but God was true, true to every one of his promises. They've come true. And I'm wondering this morning what the next step is for you. What is it that God is calling you to? God is calling us to. I was with a dear friend um, who's become a friend, a great friend of mine, uh, who was telling me his story while um, I was overseas on this trip. Um, some of you know that in 2004, there was a huge earthquake in India, and over 150,000 people were, were killed. It was a tragic event, and this man happened to be there at the time, and he was making disciples. He was um, training kind of pastors one at a time and sending them out. And that event that God saved him from, by the way, rescued him, uh, triggered something in him. It, it it triggered the calling of faith for him. He sensed that God wanted him to multiply the church and not just keep adding one at one, one by one. And so that forced his hand. He had to move from his home, from the comfort zone of people around him that he loved, and to take his family and move to a different location and establish a different kind of work where he could multiply. So many years later now, uh, he's seen the hand of God in over 1,500 church plants. Think about the work of God. And he's seen God continue to produce a journey of faith in him. He's had all kinds of missteps, he would tell you, if he was with me today, and struggles. But God is in the middle of this movement in a place in this country that is 1% Christian. Like it's... It's not the Christian part of this country at all. God is doing this remarkable work to this man who continues to learn faith. I was so inspired by that, so encouraged by my time with them and these other 
brothers and sisters in Christ who are in a very difficult setting, learning how to say yes to God and to, to say yes regardless of what that might mean for them on a daily basis. It is a challenge, a call for us, I believe, to consider how to say yes to the next step that God is calling into our lives. I don't know what your ur is, where your comfort zone is. All I know this is that the righteous shall live by faith. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this great word from you, the great challenge. I pray that as individuals and corporately as a church, you would be driving us deeper into this great lesson that the righteous will live by faith. You would be fostering faith in us and we would be saying in all kinds of settings and in all kinds of ways, yes. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.